0: Crosspoint. It's good to see y'all this morning. Whether you're here in person that I can see you or if you're joining us virtually this morning, we are glad you're here. Um, Be sure if you're a first-time guest today in the back of this chair, there's a little card. I normally have one of those. I didn't put it in my notebook this morning, but fill that out for us. If you have a prayer request, there's also a prayer card. Please know, and you'll hear that again later, but I like to do this twice. Um, We will pray for you. If you fill out a prayer card, we do pray. So this morning, we're speaking of prayer, we're going to continue in prayer in just a minute. Let me kind of outline what we're going to do. We're going to be praying for another fellowship here in town for their pastor the pastor's wife. It's Emmanuel Baptist Church here in town with Bobby Sparks and his wife, Dottie. We'll be praying for their ministry. We're also going to be praying for an unreached people group. The people group we're praying for this morning is the Palavani, Palavani people group in Afghanistan, only 3,800 people, but 100% Islam, zero percent believers. So we're going to pray for them that God would soften their hearts send the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and then put someone in their path to speak the gospel to them. And even if one hears that one can believe And it can spread through that entire people group. So we're going to be praying for them. We're also going to be praying for our pastor search team. We're starting to go through applications now. We've got, I know, over 70 applications at this point. So be praying for us as we begin to work through those. And then we'll be praying for our time this morning. So join me in prayer. Father, we come before you again this morning, acknowledging your presence in this place. Father, we know that your presence fills this very room, while in the past, your presence would be demonstrated by a cloud filling the the tabernacle. We don't see a cloud today, Father, but we know that you are here because you love us. You are here to be honored and glorified as God, and we pray that you will accept our worship this morning in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray this morning for Bobby Sparks at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I pray for his preparation this week as he's preparing and maybe even at this moment standing to deliver your word to that group of people. Father, I pray for his and Dottie's marriage, that it would continue to be enriched and that you would draw them closer to together as you draw them closer to you. Father, I pray for this. Palavani People Group in Afghanistan. Only 3,800 people. But Father, they are a distinct people group, and you know these people. While 0% are Christian, 100% Islam. Father, I pray that you would claim these people as your own. That you would send the Holy Spirit to work in their lives so that the gospel, when presented, would fall on good, fertile soil of their hearts. Father, I pray for someone or a group of people to go and spread the gospel. Father, we're going to be talking about that this morning. We talk about that every morning, actually. But specifically, learning to live is Christ. Father, those people need you. Desperately. Father, I pray for our pastor search team. As we're going through the applications, Father, quicken our hearts to all of us, all 10 of us, being able to see your best with really no pushback from anybody so that we'll recognize the person that you have in store for us. Father, we trust you in that and we thank you for being a God that cares. Father, I pray for our time this morning. I pray that you would speak through me, even move me out of the way, Father, so that the Holy Spirit would speak to each heart here this morning, each heart that may be online to hear your truth and apply it to their lives. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for every family represented here, whether it's a single person family or if it's a family of 10 or more. We trust you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, uh, as the elders have more or less assigned me the task of, of praying about and deciding what our sermon series is going to be, we started this back the first of June. Actually, it was the, the third week in June that we started the book of James. We prayed through that. We studied through that. We finished that on September the 12th. Back in August as I was praying, the, just the word Philippians came to mind over and over again. I realized God was leading me in that. This is not something that I did. In fact, I promise you, I do not have the goods to do this by myself. Apart from God, I'm nothing Apart from God, I've got nothing to offer him or you. It's all through God. So then as the elders vetted that idea of going through Philippians, we agreed to do that. Neil is, has preached the last two weeks. In the, in the first chapter of Philippians, he's done a marvelous job. The Holy Spirit was so alive and speaking to us through Neil. I really appreciate that. Um, One of the things that I realized this last week, as I was was praying through and studying through this next section of Philippians, one of the key themes is joy. And I thought, hmm, one of the key themes in James that we've just finished is joy. Some people would say, ooh, what a coincidence. Everybody do this. I don't believe in coincidence. It's providential. It's because we believe in and serve a providential God that he's led us to this. Now, a second book, a second letter, whose key theme is joy. I think God is sending us a message. So, we're going to dig into that this morning. Now, this past week, I've been preparing, working to prepare for this morning, and I ask myself about this passage and how it absolutely impacts us. For you see, truth without application is dead. You can hear the truth, but if you don't do anything with it, it just dies. A number of years ago, Jay Adams wrote a book called Truth Applied. And it was written primarily to pastors and to counselors, which a lot of his books were. Um, But in that book, he made that statement. If you preach the truth and there's no application, then you've just fed them dead material. So we have to have application. So this morning, unless the Lord comes back before I finish, which would be okay. No, I'm, I would be okay with that. Um, but at the end of the service today, or at the end of the sermon, there will be application. So just know that. Then another thing that just rang so true about God's omniscience happened, omniscience happened about 30 minutes ago when some of the elders and some of the staff, and the music team, met over in the conference room and we prayed. And one of our other elders, Elisha, sitting right over here, he had not seen my notes. He hadn't, I promise. I had them in my hand. And he prayed this very next section, virtually word for word. And I just had chills go over my body. Because he was praying these very questions that I want to pose to you this morning for you to begin to think about. What is your purpose in being here this morning? Why are you here? Secondly, why do you take in breath? Why are you breathing in and out? What is the purpose of that? Why do you eat food? Why do you drink water? Why do you even walk on the face of the earth at all? Now, Elisha covered all four, the first four of those points. He didn't cover that last one, but I'll give him him one, okay? The world is going to offer all kinds of answers, some positive, some negative. There are groups of people that believe that this is all we have. There is nothing else. That when you draw your last breath, you just cease to exist and nothing. Nothing matters in this life to them except for what they can get. And our entitlement mentality in this world just feeds that. That people believe the only thing I deserve is good. I don't deserve anything bad. So give me all the good you can people believe they're entitled to everything good without anything back. They just want to be recipients. However, this morning, we're going to be digging into this next section of Philippians to see what the truth actually is about why we are here, why we exist. So we're going to be reading Philippians 1, beginning in verse 18, the last half of 18. So please turn to that. And if you're able, I would invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Philippians 1, beginning the last half of verse 18. Yes, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. This is a reading of God's word. Please be seated. Now the previous section, I'm not going to go back and, pre- and re-preach Neil's sermon from last week, but in that previous section, he pointed out that Paul was saying there's 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 two different sides of the way the gospel is being presented. One very very positive, and one negative, trying to inflict pain on Paul while he's in prison. And Paul says clearly, it doesn't matter what their motive is, because the gospel has gone forward. And he was rejoicing in that. And that's what leads us to this passage this morning. But I want to read just basically the whole thing, the, the passage that Neil preached last week, beginning in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known to the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether it is in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that. I rejoice. Paul points out that everything that he has gone through in his life up to this point is ser- has served to advance the gospel. And that is the most important thing for him. He points us then to the next step in verses 18b and following verses as we begin to unpack these verses for this morning. So in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 18b through 20, he says, yes, because of all of he said before that, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul continues that he knows through their prayers and because of their prayers, through the Holy Spirit, this circumstance, being in prison, will turn out for his deliverance. He knows that is an absolute. You can consider that a promise. He knows he's going to be delivered. He knows that either he will be delivered from prison and remain and be able to return to the people in Philippi and to continue to spread the gospel or he will be delivered by his death and God take him home. But either way, he's going to be delivered. That's an absolute. That's a guarantee that God had given Paul and he shows us. See, we like guarantees in our life. Some are good guarantees. Some are not so good guarantees. Some some work. Some don't work. This is one that it will absolutely come true. Paul will be delivered. Either in life or in death. But it's a guarantee delivery or deliverance. Do we... Do we seek that guarantee when we're praying for the saints? Maybe that are ill. Somebody's in the hospital and we're praying for them. Do we pray that guarantee? We should. Because the saints will be delivered from illness. Either in this lifetime so that they stay. Or when God delivers them and takes them home. A number of years ago. Our my name former pastor, and some of you in here, former pastor, Bob Hamilton, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And our boys were little, and I consistently prayed with them at night. There were a couple of times I would miss, and I wouldn't go in there, and John would come pretty commonly at night. Dad, you want to pray with us? Yeah, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. So one night he said, Dad, are you are going to come pray with us? I said, John. And I was, I was in one of those moods. <laughs> I was like, John, why do you always ask me that? I always come in and pray with you all. And he said, no, there was one time I didn't ask, and you didn't come in there. <laughs> and I said, buddy, t- you ask me every night. And he did. So, but during that year that Pastor Hamilton was sick, we'd been praying for God to heal Bob Hamilton. It was about two weeks, it was, a, it was a day short of a year later that he died. About two weeks later, we were praying, and John said, Dad? And he had the little lilt in his voice that cued me in, that he was about to ask me a question I didn't know how to answer. So I quickly was thinking, God, please give me the answer. And he said, you know, we prayed every night for this last year that, that God would heal Pastor Hamilton, and why, why didn't he? You know, And his voice was breaking up a little bit. And I said, John, I said, God did heal him. He took him home to be with heaven and he's perfectly healed. He has no asthma. He has no tumor. I said, we wanted God to heal him and leave him here. But God healed him and took him home instead. And he said, okay. (laughs) So he accepted that. God was good. But see, the deliverance that we pray for is guaranteed, always, it is. There's no doubts. Now the enemy, Satan, wants us to believe that there's at least one other option that may may play out. One of those options could be that God's just gonna continue to leave us in our misery and suffering. Satan wants us to believe that God doesn't care about us. He wants us to believe that God doesn't love us. As He's told us so many times in Scripture, that He does care for us and He does love us, and He watches over us, and He has a plan for us, and it's a plan for good. But see, Satan is a liar. Y'all didn't know that before now. Know it now. In fact, Jesus calls Him the Father of Lies in John eight forty four, the last half of that passage. Jesus said, he, that is Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. And he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Paul expands this truth of his belief in our guarantee now in verse 20. Where he says, as it is my eager anticipation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, when God says through Paul here that we have hope, what is he talking about? Our typical horizontal understanding of hope is more like hope so. See, I'm, I'm not a fisher of fish. <laughs> you know, I grew up in the desert of West Texas. There wasn't anything to fish for except rattlesnakes and lizards. You know, and they were in the desert, so I didn't, have to, I didn't have to go. There wasn't any water to fish in. But I do know this. Fishermen get up. They go out. They prepare. They do all kinds of stuff to get ready to go out and fish. I could walk up to them and say, <laughs> You going to catch any fish today? And my friend would say, well, that's my hope. See, he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any assurance that he's going to get a nibble that day, even with all of his preparation. He has no assurance there's even going to be any fish in that body of water. So his word hope is really referring more to a wish than a guarantee. And that's how we typically use the word hope. It's like hope so what God says hope is. It's an absolute certainty based upon God's strength. In fact, a good biblical definition of hope is this. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in His faithfulness. Now, if I would have been more like Neil, I would have a slide up here, but I didn't do that. So let me repeat that one more time. <clears throat> hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. It is Paul's hope and trust in God that he will not be ashamed or feel shame Because that promise doesn't come true. Paul has the absolute hope and assurance that what God has promised will happen. Paul knows God. Paul knows what God has revealed to him. And as I was writing that, I mean, that's the way it came out as I was typing this up. And I thought, hmm, maybe I need to make that past tense. Paul knew God, and Paul knew what God promised him. Let's see. Today, Paul knows God. He is in His presence. Paul knows what God promised him because Paul knows that God fulfilled it, and Paul knows what he knows. And he truly knows God today. Standing in God's presence. Amazing. Paul knows that his plan is to follow Christ in all things. Whether in his life or in his death. <clears throat> and in doing so, he brings glory to God. Now, as we look at verses 21 and 22, the first part of 22. It says, for me to live as Christ... And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul is very specific in his understanding and what God has called him to do. If he is going to live through this imprisonment and get out of prison, then he will continue to serve the purpose of spreading the gospel to everyone he comes in contact with. He is called to fruitful labor. Let's consider for a moment just a part of what Paul experienced. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 22 through 28, it starts off by Paul saying, are they Hebrews? And he's talking about the Judaizers. Other people are teaching false things. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And he says, I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure... And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. I don't remember exactly the phrase Neil used last week. It was basically, basically, I don't want to travel with Paul. (laughs) You You think about what all he went through, but he calls that fruitful labor. First of all, Paul lays out his credentials. He lays out his pedigree. Okay, he's exactly who God wanted him to be. He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. He's an offspring of Abraham and he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And because of that, what did he experience? Great labors. Imprisonments. Countless beatings. Basically, he didn't even know how many times he'd received the beatings. He couldn't even keep up with them. That's how many he had. And he says, many times near death. He was probably just laying there after they got through and they thought he was dead and they just walked away. But God preserved him. He says he received five times. or Five times he received the 40 lashes, less one. Now you may already know this, but I'm going to repeat this for anyone that might not know it. In those days and times, 40 lashes was considered a death penalty. That if administered properly... The person would die on the 40th lash. The Jewish leadership, according to Roman law, could not sentence anyone to death. So when they sentenced someone to the most severe punishment they had, it was 40 lashes minus one. So he was one lash away from being executed five times. Three times he was beaten by rods. Now, these rods are not like the dowel rods you can get at any hardware store. They're actually lead rods wrapped in leather. They were heavy and they were flexible. And the beatings that those those delivered were unimaginable pain. In fact, the actor Jim Caviezel in the movie The Passion... Mel Gibson was very specific at wanting things exactly replicated to the original. So he had some of these rods made that were very specific. And in that scene where Jim Caviezel, playing Christ, was receiving the beatings, one of the guards slipped and actually hit him with that rod across the back. And the blow was so severe it opened a 14-inch gash across his back that he still has the scar today. And he said in an, in an interview later <clears throat> that when that rod hit him, there were sounds that came out of his mouth that he did not know he was capable of making. Okay. So Paul received that three times. Once he was stoned, and that means pounded by rocks. Okay, not the modern day version of that word. Some of the young adults got it. Okay. But they would they would hit him with rocks until he stopped moving. They thought he was dead. And God preserved his life. Paul was shipwrecked, shipwrecked three times, adrift on the sea a day and a night. He faced dangers from every direction. And dangers that he didn't anticipate. He didn't think it would come from that direction, from Jerusalem, but it did. And then he had the daily pressure of the anxiety regarding the churches of the first century. All of these things. All of these things that he endured. He did so not ashamed of the guarantee that God had made him. To survive. To be delivered. And he held on to the promise. Of Jesus being a better Moses. See I've heard in the past. That Moses was the small d deliverer. Of, of the, the people in, the, in Egypt. Small d deliverer. Jesus is the big d deliverer. Okay, Jesus delivered. In this way. In Hebrews 3 verses 5 and 6. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken, that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. See, that's what Paul knew. That's what we today know. Paul also gives us reasons, and it came from God, as to why he went through these things. We see this in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Now, we'd already, we've already heard Paul's credentials. He's a Hebrew, he's an Israelite, he's an offspring of, of Abraham, and he's the better servant than anybody standing shoulder to shoulder with him of Jesus Christ. In verse 7 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. And stop there. Anybody here ever feel conceited about anything? Oh, come on. You know that you have things that you can do. And if that goes unchecked, what does our, what does our humanity take us? Oh, I'm so good. You know, my my sweet wife, Kendra, and I have probably for, I don't know if we did it the first year of our marriage, but it was pretty close to that. So about 43 years, I'll do something and she'll say, you're good. And I said, yeah, I'm also humble. <laughs> and then we laugh. Okay, that, that's our little private joke, but I just shared that from the pulpit. So it's not private anymore, but it's okay. But Paul said to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of, his, of the revelations to him. He says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God tells us through Paul that we are to be content in all things because of who God is. But Paul was talking about his experiencing this thorn in the flesh and it was something apparently physical because he said it was a thorn in his flesh. So there was something going on and God chose not to reveal what that thorn was. Why? Well, I believe... If God had revealed what it was, then there would be a group of us, and probably me included, to think, well, the only time God's promise is going to be if I have that particular thing. But because we don't know what that thorn is, it applies to wherever we are, to whatever we're experiencing, whatever is going on in our lives. With that being unnamed, we know that God will work. But see, Paul wanted it gone. He didn't like it. And he prayed. And this wasn't just, I don't believe it was just a early morning when you first start to open your eyes and you speak, good morning, Lord. Or maybe as you're going to sleep at night and just as you're drifting off, you say, good night, Lord. It it wasn't that kind of prayer. I believe that Paul was pouring himself into that prayer and maybe even fasting. We don't know that for sure. But he poured himself into this prayer asking that this thorn would be removed. He was serious about that thing being gone. But then God revealed to him to keep him focused on God, he was going to leave it. Knowing that his grace was sufficient. And Paul says, When I am weak, then I am strong. And the intention there is through Christ. Now, back to Philippians 1.21. Paul said in the last of this statement that to die is gain. He had an absolute confidence through Christ Jesus that when he died, he would be escorted into the throne room of God by Jesus just like the thief who cried out on the cross. In Luke 23, verse 42 and 43, and he, that is the thief, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is exactly what Paul had to look forward to. He knew that for him to die would be gain he would be in, pre- in the presence of God. Consider his words in the next section, though, of our focal passage in Philippians 1, 22 through 24. Paul says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And maybe more of what he had already experienced. And he still calls that fruitful labor. And he says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Well, he can't tell because honestly, it's not his choice. But he's willing to accept whichever way God takes him. He says, I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, Paul clearly says that to live is Christ. As long as he had breath to breathe, as long as he could speak, as long as he could write in prison or out of prison, he had a fruitful labor. because he said to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He knew he had things to do for the Lord as long as he had breath in his body. He was truly saying that even though he knew that going to heaven was going to be so much better than what he'd experienced here, he was willing to stay so that he could continue to spread the gospel and teach those that he came in contact with. Now let's consider this last, the last of this chapter this morning. As he explains what to live is Christ actually means. In verse 25, Philippians 1. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, prog- for, for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel that you are standing firm in one spirit. I'm sorry, I missed that. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. is about these things. Their joy in the faith. Having ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. To let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Either in Paul's presence or in his absence. Standing firm in one spirit. With one mind striving side by side for the gospel. Not being frightened in anything of their opponents. By being frightened of anything that Satan can do. Because we know. By God's word. When he says in 1 John 4. 4, You are of God little children. And have already overcome them. Talking about the things of the world. Because greater is he who is in you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. Than he who is in the world. See we have nothing to fear. We don't. Because of who our allies are. And that was bought by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. This is a clear sign of our salvation. And that is from God. God points out then through Paul that not only are we to believe in him, that is Jesus, but also suffer for his sake. After that promise of what has been granted to us now it's time for that application how does that impact us today what does that mean for my life for your life today and this week you know Thursday night as I got to this part of the sermon I thought wow that's not a very positive way to end this passage that we're going to suffer seriously man we can hang on to that promise can't we I mean, that, that's hard. And in reality, we may not be suffering the way Paul did. I mean, let's be honest. We can gather here this morning without fear of a religious police coming in and shutting us down or killing us. Okay, We're not suffering the same way that the believers in Afghanistan are suffering right now. And we don't even know what all that they're going through. We know bits and pieces. It doesn't sound fun. But we know in the United States, and it's been said so many times, that we are the most blessed people in the history of mankind. And in many ways, that is true. But we need to also recognize that we do suffer now, today. We just remembered 9 11. For those of you old enough to remember that, that was a time of suffering. That was a time of anguish when terrorists hit our country. We remember the space shuttle exploding on launch. We remember another space shuttle disintegrating on re-entry. We have survived 2020 and more than half of 2021 with our most recent pandemic. That's suffering. See, our our fellowship here at Cross Point couldn't meet for a while in 2020. We couldn't meet in person. Had anybody ever imagined that in our culture? No. But it happened. And our teaching pastor would have to preach on a virtual setting in that other building by himself. And to reach out to the rest of us who could tune in online. See, we've argued over mask or no mask. We've argued over shots or no shots. See, we've suffered. We are suffering. There are people in jobs that cannot put a Bible on their desk without running the risk of, of getting in serious trouble. There are courthouses all over the United States that have had to remove the Ten Commandment plaques. I was going to check with Kelly to see if they still have that in their courtroom. Has that been taken down? There might be one outside, okay. All right. So in, in most places, those have been taken down. Prayer has been taken out of the school. Some of you may remember every morning the principal coming over the loudspeaker. And we would stand and we would do the pledge of allegiance, pledge of allegiance to the nation's flag. And then he would pray for the school over the loudspeaker. I remember that. You know, I see Dan nodding his head, Sheila nodding his head. Some of us remember that, where prayer was a part of the school. That's not there now, not from the administration. It was such a joy when they first started to see, see around the pole, where the students would organize that. The teachers couldn't organize it. They might be able to attend, but there was a ban on the administration. When I was teaching at the university over in the mid to late 80s, actually early, early to late 80s that I taught at the university, I was warned multiple times you cannot talk about God in the classroom. Okay. Now, if someone asked me a question, I could answer it, but I had to be careful to answer it just to them and not to the whole class. See, we do go through our own level of suffering. So what's going on? We're constantly being watched so that we don't offend some other belief system. It's real in our culture, folks. And our suffering as we follow Jesus, our suffering will continue as long as we draw breath. That's guaranteed by Jesus. That's the other guarantee. We will suffer in Jesus' name. All right, so here's the application. What's our hope? Again, this is not hope so, but it's that absolute assurance. What is our hope? In verse 28, the last half of that verse, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Here comes the application. But of your salvation and that from God. That's our hope. Our hope is Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the glory that waits for us when he takes us to heaven. And we can experience that in part in our lives today. But we absolutely, as we look beyond our circumstances, we know what waits for us in eternity. And that's to live in eternity with, in the presence of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Remember these words For me to live. Is Christ. That's our hope. For me to live is Christ. Join me in prayer. Father, as we bow before you, we thank you for this truth that we can hang on to. And this is a big, juicy piece of meat that we can gnaw. For me to live is Christ. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the knowledge that you are our God. Jesus is our Savior. The Holy Spirit is our strength and teacher. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.